Welcome to Switchfoot Song Stories, a fan-run and operated podcast, not affiliated with Switchfoot. Hey, this is Gable Price, and you are listening to the podcast Switchfoot Song Stories. Welcome back, everybody. Today we are chatting with Gable Price from the incredible band Gable Price and Friends. We're going to have a lot of happy listeners uh, this week because, uh, Gable, we've had a <laughs> lot of requests to get you on this show. So oh, man. Oh, man. Of course. It's, it's, it's an honor, and I'm stoked. And it's uh, any opportunity I get to talk about music and Switchfoot is a great opportunity in my mind. So you guys just got back from tour. It looks like you've got a string of uh, summer dates lined up. What are you yeah. guys currently working on? What's next uh, for the band? Yeah, I mean, so we, we just released that Consequence of Being Alive record in uh, November. And so, I mean, that was a, that was a couple years in the making. And so I'm, I'm trying to slow myself down from like writing the next thing. But at the same time, like I'm, we're, we kind of live in a musical culture right now where it's like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? And so I'm trying to figure out what's next musically. I haven't, I don't think I've written it yet, but we released the consequence of being alive 11 song album that we did, uh, nine songs in Nashville with Aaron Broman and Scotty Mills. And then we did two songs with John and Tim, um, in, uh, Carlsbad. And so we, we released that record and we did like five release shows. So, or actually it was four. We ended up canceling one of them. Whoops. Um, and we, we started in Atlanta. And then after Atlanta, we went to Knoxville, Tennessee. We went to Cincinnati, my hometown. And then we hit Nashville. Um, so we did those release shows. And then we kind of thought, oh, man, we should probably formally tour this record. And so um, we just finished the first leg, which was kind of like a Midwest um, launch leg of the tour. Where we hit, you know, some some classic Midwest markets, you know, Milwaukee, uh, Minneapolis, uh, and then we hit Chicago, which was, I think, my favorite show of that run. And then, you know, we even threw in Nashville again, even though it's not the Midwest. But we said they wear big hats and ask nicely, and so uh, we we went back. But yeah, man, so we're just doing that. We're we're prepping for that second leg, um, first trip over over the pond, playing in Sussex, and uh, towards the end of this month. And then, um, yeah, man, we're just kind of riding out this record, being patient with the inspiration for what what comes next, while also trying to recognize the little bit of momentum we've got going and trying to utilize it. I'm bad at TikTok, and so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the the, the kicker right now. And you can't dunk, I saw on your website, you can't dunk. I, I cannot dunk. I had one... I would say it was a solid two months that I could um, oh, when I was a freshman in high school um, or I finished my freshman year and I was 135 pounds and, you know, I'm not short, but I got, 
I've got tiny arms, you know? Um, so I could stand next to someone who's probably four inches shorter than me and we have the same top reach, but I had like, I did like the, you know, the, the white guy high school dunk where you kind of throw the ball up and then you would grab the rim, pull the rim down while it fell in. Um, but then that summer I had a couple real ones and then I started to bulk up for the next season. And so never did it again. <laughs> so it should say can't dunk dot, dot, dot anymore. 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 <laughs> Disclaimer. It was probably two days. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's probably the, the wise thing for bands to, you know, take their time from album to album. I know Switchfoot definitely does that. Um, yeah. Making sure it's the right thing. Um, I was going to request that you had a new album every year, so that's probably not going to be the case, but that's just uh, a hey, fan, fan in me. <laughs> hey, man, you never know. You never know. I, I kind of will ebb and flow of like obsession with writing. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I could be not writing today and then decide next week, okay, let's write the next one and it'll be, you know, written by the, by the summer, you know, end of the <laughs> summer. But, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, um, I'm holding it all loosely and listening to as much advice as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I saw on Spotify alone, you guys, you've got close to 200,000 monthly listeners, which is amazing. I think that number is just going to keep growing as well. Um, and I don't know if you look at those kind of things much. And actually, the song that we're going to discuss here in a few minutes kind of speaks to, you know, things that are more important than the numbers of why yeah, we do yeah. what we do. Um, yeah. But how does, how does that make you feel just to know that so many people care about your art and the difference that you're making? You, you know, it, it really it's it's crazy. It is. Um, I, I say every show we wrote our first EP in a garage in my van. And our goal was to have all of our friends listen to it. And so um, I think just anything beyond that, every bit that it grows is just kind of like a cherry on top of this like crazy, crazy gift that we've been given that people like what we make and um, that we like what we make. Um, you know, it's been a process of really figuring out what it is that we like that we make, um, you know, music. I think at first it's just so overwhelming that you get to make music and people will listen to it and then you start to discover well i like doing this a little more than i like doing this i like when the song can have people jump around and dance to it more than um you know cry and stuff like that um and so seeing that number grow progressively over the years it's pretty wild i remember when it hit ten thousand, i like ten thousand monthly listeners it was just like i can't imagine it gets any better than this and then, you know, it hits the hundred and we're like, oh my gosh. And now we're, we're nearing 200. And, um, yeah, I mean, the number doesn't, the number doesn't bl blow my mind in the sense of, I'm just more grateful that people show up to shows and people really take it to heart. I've seen people with a lot and a lot of monthly listeners way more than us, uh, you know, ha have a, have a show and people are standing still. And so I think the monthly listeners has, um, had lost its effect on me a bit once like we started I think we played a big show once and no one really moved and I was like oh man I would take the club show with a hundred people screaming the songs over you know thousand people uh not giving a rip and so it's 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 really cool and I'm but I am kind of forced to look at the anal you know the analytics of everything and make sure it's you know performing well especially as we've kind of transitioned into label land and um yeah man it's 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 just all a gift i would say um and more so than the, just like the number of listeners it's an honor to have like fans 
yeah. buying tickets and coming to shows and mm-hmm. wanting to ask us questions. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm right there with you as a fan, you know, going to shows like some of my favorite memories are smaller venues, but everybody's going nuts. Um, yeah. The really big ones where like, well, they're here for this other band and they don't really, you know, whatever the yeah. case may be. But um, yeah, you mentioned that so your last album, Consequences of Being Alive. I know it came out late in the year, but it was one of my favorite offerings of the entire year. Uh, oh, thanks, man. So many great songs. For my my own musical taste, obviously, as you know, being a Switchfoot fan, um, the music that I kind of gravitate towards, music that sounds great, that actually means something. Yeah. You know, your music fits the mold of that. And um, that album, as I said, featured the, uh, the song with John Foreman called How It Sets You Free. So I want to get your thoughts on what it was like making a song with, with John. And then also if you could put into words um, what John and Switchfoot has meant to you both uh, personally and professionally. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, it, it was really a mind-blowing experience. Uh, my first concert I ever went to was the O Gravity Tour, um, and Copeland was opening. Um, and it was so crazy. And so I, when we started the, the process of recording and finalizing track lists for The Consequence of Being Alive, um, you know, label land and Dom, our manager is just asking me questions of like, who do you want to work with? And I've said since the beginning is like, if I could work with the foreman's my, I'd be done. I'm, I'm done. Um, and, uh, so I made the formal request. I want to write with, uh, John and John and Tim. Um, and so it was a couple weeks after that, that I was headed out to San Diego and, um, I got put in a group chat with them, which was crazy. You know, I, I screenshotted the text of, hey, Gable, it's John and Tim excited to make some music. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And so this is this is the really dorky thing. And I hope they listen to this and just realize how much of a dork I am and how wild that process was. But I would send them voice messages with ideas, not because I'm a voice message texter, because I'm not. Um, it was because... I really wanted them to respond with a voice message so I could get it out of the way. I could get them being like Gable, you know, out of the way and just fangirl there. So I didn't have to fangirl in person and uh, they never did. You know, I would send them a voice text and they would send a text back and I'd be like, oh, that's how they are. Um, and <laughs> so, you know, I'm headed out to San Diego and trying to figure out what song you write with the people who kind of taught you how to write. Um, and so I was watching... Ted Lasso, um, which is, well, I think one of the best shows ever. Um, season three, season three is on a redemption arc. It started off real slow and the last yeah. couple episodes have been phenomenal, but, uh, I just don't, okay. Sidebar. I just think that Zava was kind of a wasted character, but you know, personal, personal preference. Um, maybe it's uh, the, but, that's the thing that gets Jamie back to being the star that he needed. That, 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 kind of, he, that he, he was thing. a, yeah, he was a, he, he he was a utility character yeah. um but yeah that's that's true i i will accept that um but there you know there's the episode with dr sharon where she's uh talking to ted and he's going through his panic attacks and his divorce and she he says uh maybe i don't want to know the truth and she says ted the truth will set you free but first it'll piss you off and i remember hearing that and i'm like oh my gosh that is phenomenal and i think they said something early earlier in the dr sharon uh, era of Ted Lasso of I'll take your anger over your indifference any day. 
Um, and so, I mean, I was just writing down everything from those episodes because it was just so touching. And um, so I texted that to, to, to John and Tim and they were like, yeah, let's write that one. And, uh, you know, and so we, we head out there and I pull up to their studio and uh, it was just crazy, man. I mean, it really, it really set me up to fangirl pretty hard because you walk in and it's basically like a switchfoot museum. You know, you walk in there and there's the, where, where the light shines through guitar. Um, and then, you know, you go upstairs and there's all like the beautiful letdown records and, uh, the, the awards and stuff like that. And I'm like, holy cow. Um, and it was really just like the most, in terms of like a wildly overwhelming experience, they made it very, very human. Um, so we get down there in the studio and John and Tim, are just the best dudes. And I, I, I tell them, I always trying to, you know, they, they were, they just kept, I kept telling them, um, guys, I'm so excited and so nervous. And thank you. Thank you so much. Just because I'm like, I think one of the weirder things, and we are nowhere near what Switchfoot has done, but I never really feel, uh, I always find it weird when people, you know, you get to work with someone, you get to meet someone and they're like, and they're just like, oh yeah, of course I'm here with you. Um, you know, and so I always try to enter with like a ton of humility of just like, if I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm so honored to meet you. Like, I'm going to tell them, oh my gosh, I'm so honored to meet you. So it doesn't come off like, of course I'm working with you, Switchfoot, you know, uh, you know, because I don't feel like that at all. I just felt like a, a kid in a candy store. And so, and they're just like, dude, it's awesome. You know, it's just writing music. And um, so we, you know, we start writing and we talked probably more than we wrote those first couple days. Um, we go from 11 a.m. till 5 p.m. We take a break, meet back up at eight and then work till like 11 or midnight. And we did that for three or four days. I can't remember. Um, but I remember there's one point when we were working on how it sets you free. Uh, you know, we're sitting there and we're trying to figure out the bridge and we're stuck on the, we're stuck on the bridge. We can't figure it out. Um, and you know, we're, we're throwing around ideas and then it comes back to John and then he goes, go, goes quiet for a second and then goes, how cool is this? What? And he's like, these are our work issues. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like that. We get to do this for work and our work issues aren't budget cuts. It's not layoffs. It's not high stress. It's that we can't find out what the bridge is to a song that we love. And I'm like, man, that's so true. And I think just their perspective overall really has really, really stuck with me um, through, you know, finishing the record and just the way they look at it and the way we wrote. It was just so conversational. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, we talk about the weather outside and it's just like, you know, when it's like when it's the spring and it just starts getting warm and it's like 71 degrees and you're like, it is so hot right now. You don't like it, it's hot in comparison to what you had. And so, we, you know, we start talking about that and we're like, it's honest. You know, when are we going to get around to honest weather? Like in the summer when you're like, oh, man, it's it's hot and it's actually hot. And so we're like, let's write an honest weather lyric. And so we get into the bridge and say hello to honest weather. Um,
And it was just also conversational, also natural. And I, I mean, genuinely, probably the best collaborative experience I've ever had. Nice. Yeah, man. It was cool. It was cool. It's really, really cool to hear. And just kind of like a peek behind the curtain almost at artists working together. I mean, that's awesome. Um, I was, another question I like to ask artists on this show is, and I'm going to eliminate that one because you've already done that one with him. Yeah, so let's, yeah. You're sharing a stage with the guys. It's the encore of a tour. And you yeah. get to do one song of theirs with them and one song of yours with them. What two songs are you picking? You, you know, what's funny is we actually did that um, in, yeah. in Reading. In Reading, when they came through town, um, they asked me which song I wanted to do of theirs. I said, Oh, Gravity. Because that was the first, first concert I was ever at. And then we did Lucky 17 together Sweet. because they, they, they produced that one as well. I, I think if, if it was the encore of a tour and, you know, we had been together on this tour and we had to do one of my songs and one of theirs... Of theirs, I would do vice versas. And of ours, I think I mean, we haven't done How It Sets You Free with John live. We had talked about doing it at Creation Fest, but I th Creation Fest got uh, nixed this year. Yeah, um, and uh, I don't know. I think How It Sets You Free would be so, so, so cool. Um, or even having John sing. I think having John sing any of the songs I've written it would just kind of, you know, complete it for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was fun, man. Yeah. And the, the Reading show, you know, they texted me the day before I was helping them source some gear because their tour bus was not going to make it through the snowy pass in like Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, helping them source some gear. And then John texts me, I think the morning of the show. And he's like, Hey, me and the guys have been listening to lucky 17. We're going to call you guys up to play it with us. Um, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. He's like, what song you want to do of, of ours i'm like oh my gosh and i didn't decide until right before the show i was like how about how about oh gravity and they're like, okay we're doing oh gravity we run sound check it real quick and then we go get food and then we come back and you know it was just it was just crazy you know being in my what feels like my hometown at this point just because i've been here for six years mm -hmm. um getting to you know play with such a legendary band was just really cool yeah well, speaking of O Gravity, um, you chose to talk about American Dream from the O Gravity yes, album. I like how that al album has got this wide range of sounds, but they were still able to put in a couple of the big rockers, um, mm -hmm. including American Dream. So I used to love, especially when they would do this in live, and they had a couple tours where they would freeze in the middle of the song on stage. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hit that chord and just pose. I mean, That'd be tough for anybody to do, but especially like in the middle of a set, middle of a song, and like they were super still. You can check that out all over YouTube. So, um, but why why did this song come to mind as far as uh, the song you wanted to discuss today? Well, I mean, I, I love the song uh, more so. The O Gravity record uh, is my favorite Switchfoot album. Um, I think because of it being that first concert, and it's just this super sentimental feeling. I feel like they played the whole record that night. Um, which I mean would would make sense. They played like twenty tunes, um, but uh, I mean, like I was saying, my favorite songs by Switchfoot is Vice versus O Gravity and American Dream. And I saw that a couple people. I saw Steven had done O Gravity, and then uh, Vice versus had been done before. And so I was like, man, I think American Dream. I think one of the reasons why I love it is because Switchfoot. You know, they have their. They they just say whatever they want. 
and I think it's great. Um, and so that song is such a stick it to the man. I love all their stick it to the man songs, um, especially like with being so prominent in an industry um, to say something like that, especially when half your songs are spinning on air one and K love, you know, your stick it to the man songs are kind of dangerous. And so I, I think those ones always mean a little more to me because I'm like, Oh, they, I just want to, if, if they were on social media at the time, um, or Instagram, I should say, I'm sure they, you know, were on MySpace. Um, but, uh, I would just love to read the comment section, you know, <laughs> like when that, when that song released, uh, I tend to throw some stick it to the man songs out there as well. And, um, I think one of the reasons why I like to do that is because of songs like American dream and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, man, that's a good tune. That, that chorus of this ain't my American dream. I want to live and die for bigger things. I'm tired of fighting for just me. John's had mm -hmm. a lot to say about America over the years. I think the looking for America tour was at such a pivotal time. I mean, things that yeah. they said and, and saying that tour was incredible. So important. Mm -hmm. um, this song in particular, it's not so much the political landscape. It's more like consumerism, materialism, yeah. caring more about the more important things than the dotted line. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, here's one of his quotes about the song. He said, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud of my grandfather um, who fought in World War II. Proud of some of my best, best friends who are in the Marines. Mm -hmm. I believe in a nation that is serving a higher calling than a TV. I have nothing against the material world. I have nothing against consumerism. Certainly, we are consumers with physical bodies. But if that's all we are, we've lost what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. It's so it's so good, man. I uh, I I think that bridge is my favorite part. You know, because he just has this way of throwing in just in passing like one of the most mind-blowing lines, you know, like a puppet on a monetary string. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just basically what sounds like an ad lib. And then you listen in, you're like, oh my gosh. Um, yes. And the red, red, white, blue, and green, uh, saying the same thing people have said a billion times, but in a different way is just one of the really inspiring things about this tune. And just, you know, they're so believable in all their songs. Um, you know, whatever they say, you can just tell it. They believe it and they live it. Yeah. And they're genuinely fed up by the consumerism and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a challenge probably for most people. I mean, I think most people like money and most people like stuff and most people oh, yeah, man. to be in good shape financially than not. But, and there's nothing wrong with like working your way up to make, yeah. make money. Um, but, you know, I think as a song speaks about, like, I want to live and die for more than that. Mm -hmm. um, where have you maybe seen this song or this message kind of play out in your own life or your own art or just in general? Um, well, so we we started as a, um, I, I would say as a worship group with our first EP, um, you know, very, very congregational worship music. Um, with the next record, we did transition into a, a lot more of this, uh, you know, rock sound, but still similar conceptually. And uh, I think just as time changed, I think um, as I started writing The Consequence of Being Alive and even the e EP that was prior to it, if I'm being honest, um, 
I started to realize a little bit more of what I wanted to write. Um, I loved what I wrote then, but I'm, I want to be very honest to what I'm feeling in the moment. Um, those two first releases were in the heat of being in ministry school. And so I'm hearing two sermons a day. Of course, I'm going to write theological type music. Um, and so as I, you know, transitioned out, I, I, I graduated during COVID lockdown and um, in election season and all of these times where a person who is, you know, the, the people group who is supposed to be the most um, empathetic, caring, and loving, which is, you know, Christians, and I am absolutely still Christian, were, were kind of the uh, agitators during during all of those things. Um, and so I think as I started wanting, you know, I started wanting to poke the bear, you know, we did the You Are My Country song, and um, just s stuff like that. Um, I realized that we had pretty much a sure, a sure way paved for us if we were to continue writing worship type music. Um, that was the area where I'm like, man, if we just shift a little bit sonically, there's no one even remotely rock in the Christian radio land right now. We could, you know, you know, you could, you know, be the, be the king of the dove awards and, and stuff like that. And so that was, that was the tension for us is, you know, similar to the song where it's just like, we could have, we could be the number one at the thing we don't really want. Um, but it would pay well and it would provide a lot of notoriety and a lot of comfort. And we'd, we'd own the big Nashville hat and stuff like that. And, um, I just think that we, I just think that I realized, especially, you know, it's, it, I've always been about writing something that I felt like was significant both to people and to me. If it's just significant to other people, I'm doing myself a disservice. And if it's just significant to me, um, I'm, I'm neglecting a lot of the people I'm called to write music that resonates with. And so I would say this song in the, you know, the American dream has, has really in the biggest tension for me was given that crossroads of write music that you're not really feeling right now in order for success or kind of pave this, you know, go this uncharted, very, very brutally honest way where I still will write some songs like that, but it's, on my own time and from a very sincere place that whole album was from a sincere place but if i was to continue writing that album over and over again it wouldn't be sincere and so um yeah man i think that was the biggest tension point in uh you know big success easily easier paved way um but writing a, a, a music that i feel like is dishonest to where i'm at in life at that point or you know paving a new way, going a little bit more of what I call the, you know, the switch foot route of, uh, yeah. you know, not really fitting into a box. My buddy, my buddy Giovanni always says about switch foot, um, that they don't, uh, they don't follow the JPM, uh, which is the Jesus per minutes, uh, way of, uh, getting to the, getting on the radio and the, you know, they really just did their own, their own thing and let their beliefs shine through in their music, but it's not forced. And so yeah. I would say that's the, that's the biggest way, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I've got just a ton of respect for, for that. And, you know, a lot of the artists that I follow, listen to, and some that we've even had on the show, um, just kind of, you know, following that, that uh, path that was paved uh, by some other mm -hmm. artists. I remember John talking a lot of times, even about, 
the venues they would play. He's like, you realize that if you go to a, a church to play every time, you're going to get paid pretty well and you may get a hundred bucks at a club, but like we're taking our music to every place that will have it. And just like that kind of uh, calling yeah. instead of just going for the money and the, the hit song or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we and we've played we we started off like the the places we were getting a lot of gigs was churches for their events. Um and we we would play those and in kind of like B markets, so like 30 minutes, 40 minutes outside of the the city. Um and it would be fun and you know like you said it was a, it was a great paycheck and a lot of great people that we met. The green rooms don't smell like weed and uh all that stuff and um uh, <laughs> then you know we make the transition to just playing clubs or venues or um you know general market venues um where people can you know come listen to a show or they can come there and get a drink and watch the show and sit or jump around and it was just a it felt so much you know more true to us and the the mission behind what we're doing um to play in the smaller room that was sweaty with a crappier sound system and get paid less to to kind of stay true to w- what we think we are and that's mm-hmm. that's not within a box and that's not um you know that's that's not the after you know the after after sunday um church event yeah know, which will you know we we've we've played a few in the last couple of years but it's definitely been a significant amount less another thing i thought of was maybe one of the most uh misquoted verses in all scripture that's like People say money is the root of all evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. And, and I don't think you have to even have a lot of money to have a love of money. There's so many issues that can come from from both sides of that. But yeah, it's like we, we got to be careful how we treat money and material possessions. You know, none of it's going to go with us when we leave the earth. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like, do you ever think someone has ever like been on their deathbed and said, wish I would have spent more time buying things or I wish I would yeah. have made more money. You know, it's like, it just puts it in perspective, like the American dream, what it's kind of been known as, and then what it should be like, what it should look like. Um, spent time loving people, loving our families, mm-hmm. uh, going on experiences and like living life in this way that yeah. it just means so much more than again, the dotted line, like what's most important. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the, the, the reality of it is, is there's I do know a lot of people who are very, very, very wealthy, who are extremely generous and present for their families. And so, yeah, exactly what you said. Money is not the, the root of all evil. It's this obsession with it. It's the um, when everything is a money decision. Um, that's that's kind of where the line gets blurred. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I would love for the band to be a bit more uh fi- financially stable but uh it, it won't dictate all of the decisions um yeah. and it, it yeah you know we're not going to be uh in in you know 30 years when the, when the band is is uh a much different landscape um it, it we're not going to be like man i really wish those first couple of years when we were grinding it out we would have played shows that made more money um <laughs> you know, or maybe we will, maybe we will, but uh, I don't think so. I, I think all my memories so far of the, you know, the band, my favorite memories are those tiny rooms where it's like, how did we fit so many people in this tiny room? Not like the room where you can see, 
you know, you can see the whole row in the back where, you know, there's not, there's not people there, but it's got a great paycheck. Um, I don't, I don't think about those shows. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think about the ones that are crammed in there and there's feedback from the mic every once in a while. And it just, it just feels so much more significant to me. And I know a lot of people who are very pure, who do those other gigs. Um, mm -hmm. but for, for, for me, it's just, you know, I think the dream for me is not the, not the, the bags flowing freely. Um, fine, financially, it's just this, uh, significant moment that you can share with people in a room that they're not used to sharing a moment like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Do you remember these lyrics that say, uh, when the stars all fade on my golden road and my income fails to carry me home? I, I, I do remember that one. <laughs> road, robe saying, I love you. If every idol fails to comfort me and my own skin and bones is stripped off of me, I'm going to look at the holder of eternity and scream, I love you. I love that from your song Repentance, correct? Yeah, 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 man. That song, I, I've said for a long time, I'm like, my favorite song changes the most important song I've written, I don't know if we'll ever change. And it's, it's that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, no matter where I've been at, um, emotionally or, you know, spiritually figuring things out, that song will always kind of bring me a, a couple tears. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, you know, it's, it's, it's weird that, you know, you can cry to your own tune, but, um, yeah, I, I just think that line, you know, when my income fails to carry me home, Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just have to remind myself of that sometimes of like, Oh, yeah. this income is not eternal. Yep. Um, and there is, is one thing that is, and, uh, it's definitely not money. Yep. Yeah. Really good thoughts. I remember, you know, as you said that John Foreman has said, if you're not crying, why are you singing it? That was like a mantra for one of their albums and then beyond. So yeah, really, man, really good stuff. they, they, and it's very similar, um, subject to american american dream uh he has um on his solo record the patron saint of rock and roll yep. and that song is you know there's the verse that there's a park downtown where the homeless get ignored um and i i i don't know why the poke the bear songs have always you know stuck out to me so much but i just remember hearing that and i'm just like i need to say <laughs> hey to more more homeless people and i need to yeah. be more you know gracious and um more human uh, because, because class does not, what class you were does not matter in eternity. Yep. Yeah. That's when you know it's good art, when it causes you to feel different things and especially if it causes you to act. And even if the action is enjoying life that day, or as you said, like this, this lyric causes me to think, you know, differently in certain situations. Mm -hmm. So really good stuff. I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on and oh, man. next uh, for the band, what you're doing is really important, really impactful. So keep it up. Thanks, and Tyler. I really appreciate you having me, man. It's you, you, this is such a cool podcast, and an honor to be on it and get to talk about. You know, I think the greatest band of all time. <laughs> yeah. Sweet, that'll be.
you're fighting for the Beamer, the Lexus. As the heart and soul breathe in the company goes, the success is equated with excess. That is